If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. It might be the only offensive weapon in the believer's arsenal, but it's capable of devastating the enemy. Are you keeping your sword sharp? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah examines the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's definitely the weapon worth calling upon in the arena of spiritual warfare. With the conclusion of his message, The Sword of the Spirit, here's David. Well, thank you for joining us today. You know, in the midst of this message, we see the Lord Jesus Christ wielding the sword, and it is quite a spectacle how he took out Satan in the wilderness. And he shows us how we're to do it as well. When he comes against you with any kind of an argument, you should be prepared to say, it is written, and then give him a verse of scripture that you've memorized. Of course, if you don't have anything in your arsenal, you're kind of kind of at a loss to what to do. So fill that arsenal up with, with God's truth, and when the enemy comes after you, take one of those swords out and do him in. <laughs> Send him away, wounded. You can be victorious in this, in this struggle if you follow the principles of spiritual warfare. Well, today we're going to take the second look at the Sword of the Spirit. We'll do that right now. I'll be back at the end of the message to remind you of some opportunities you have during the month of June. Let's begin our study. Jesus is on the pinnacle of the temple with Satan, and Satan says to him, If you really are the Son of God, why don't you prove it? Why don't you just cast yourself off this temple and see what happens? See that the Lord God will save you. And the reference to the temple and the holy city is very significant because in rabbinic tradition, they held that when Jesus returned to take away the bondage of the Jewish people, he would come from the pinnacle of the temple and ascend into the temple square. And they all believed the rabbinic tradition that that would happen. So it's really true that if Jesus had jumped off the temple and landed safely in the middle of the temple square, everybody would have said, this is our Messiah. And they would have taken him as their Messiah immediately. Now watch what Satan is doing. I told you he uses what he learns in the first temptation against you in the second one. Here's how Satan reasoned. He said, Jesus, if you won't work a miracle for yourself because you don't want to live independently of the Father, why don't you let God do a miracle for you? Why don't you jump off and let God catch you and protect you on the way down? Satan used the second temptation to eliminate the problem encountered in the first temptation. If Christ cannot perform a miracle independent of his Father, then let the Father do a miracle for him. Sounds logical, but it is totally illogical. 
In the first temptation, Satan was trying to get Christ to distrust his father and act independently. In the second temptation, he was trying to get him to trust God more than he should. He was trying to get him to be presumptuous and jump from the temple so that his father would catch him. The devil wanted Christ to set himself up as a wonder worker, to put on a show, But the Lord had the perfect sword already, and once again, he reached into his armory that he was carrying with him, and he pulled out sword number two, and he said, It is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus used the sword on Satan. He says, Satan, don't you tempt God. Don't set traps for God. Don't force God into situations he never intended to occupy Today, we have to apply that truth. We must not ask God to be our bellhop or our servant. We must not be presumptive in our faith. Jesus knew exactly the right word to use to defeat Satan's attack. He said, don't tempt God, and he quoted from the Scripture. For all of us who have a tendency to be presumptuous, let us remember one simple truth. It is absolutely right to believe in miracles It is absolutely wrong to schedule them. (laughs) Now, I want to leave one other thought with you before we go on to round three. Did you notice that when Satan came back for round two, since Jesus used the Scripture against him in round one, Satan's going to use the Scripture against Jesus in round two. We hear Jesus being told by Satan, it is written. And then Satan quotes from Psalm 91 and 11 and 12. And notice what he says. He said, it is written... God, listen to me, Jesus. It is written. You want to talk about what's written? Let's talk about what's written. Here's something that's written. It is written. He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. He quoted from Psalm 91 and 11 and 12. But he didn't quote it correctly. Satan knows the Scripture. Did you know that? He knows the Scripture better than most of us. He's very, very good with the Bible. But he uses it deceitfully. Let me show you what he did. Do you know what Psalm 91, 11, and 12 actually says? It says, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Satan left the all your ways out because here's what I've learned about the enemy. Here's what I've learned about Satan. It's something very interesting, very practical. Satan always understates the goodness of God, and he always overstates the judgment of God. Did you know that? He always comes and says, you know, you say you have a good God. He is good, but he's not as good as you think he is. God was making this promise in Psalm 91 that angels will protect us anywhere, under any situation, on the temple, pinnacle, on the floor, wherever. He will keep you in all your ways. Satan minimized the goodness of God, and he always does that. You remember in the garden, the serpent said, hath God really said? He's not going to surely die. How Satan loves to do that. Doesn't he do that with us? And I could use some practical illustrations that you would truly identify with. Maybe your temptation is thus and thus. Satan will always, he will all, you know, God would want you to do this. God, he'll minimize the goodness of God and he'll maximize the judgment of God. Temptation number one is the lust of the flesh. Temptation number two is the lust of the eyes. And here's the third one, the pride of life. Matthew 4, 8. Again, third time, the devil takes Jesus up on an exceedingly high mountain 
and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory, and he says to him, Jesus, I will give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. Well, you say, does Satan have the right to make such an offer? Yes, he's the prince of this world, isn't he? He's on a leash during this period of time, but he's the prince of the power of the air. Satan is loose on this earth. If he wasn't, we wouldn't have such a hard time. He's kind of the prince of this world right now. And he's offering Jesus the opportunity to take this kingdom and to take it now. Now, he's appealing to the personal ambition of Jesus, the pride of life. He's asking Jesus and saying, Jesus, the end justifies the means. Jesus, you're already going to have a kingdom. We know that. But why don't you take a shortcut to the kingdom? Why don't you just come into the world and set up your kingdom now? Why don't you substitute the physical, temporal kingdom in place of the kingdom for which you came? Why don't you forget about the cross? Why don't you forget about the resurrection? Why don't you forget about salvation and redemption and take your kingdom now by force? Satan, from the very beginning, was trying to do everything he could to keep Jesus from going to the cross because when Jesus went to the cross, Satan was done. The sentence hasn't been totally carried out, but it has been passed, and Satan's finished. And it was the cross that did it, and Satan did everything in his whole career to keep Jesus from being born, to keep him from going to the cross. Here was another attempt on the enemy's part. If you can just keep Jesus from going to the cross, Satan wins. And once again, Jesus reached into a sheath of swords, and he said, Satan, it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Match over, Jesus wins three to zero. And notice what it says. And the devil left him. Oh, hallelujah. The devil left him. Oh, those are the happiest words you ever hear. And the devil left him. And the Bible says when the devil left him, the angels came and ministered to him. Do you remember James in his book in the New Testament? He says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Jesus resisted the devil with the word of God, and the Bible says the devil left him. Do you see how you use the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, just like Jesus did? When Satan comes with a temptation, you need to have a word, one of the sayings. These were sayings from the Bible. Jesus chose a saying, and he used it against the enemy. We'll have more to say about that in just a moment. Now, we've talked about how this can be used in the scriptural way, let me talk about how it works in the practical way. Ray Stedman was a teacher of mine when I was in seminary. He used to pastor a great church up in Palo Alto, California. He's now with the Lord. But he's written so much on the scripture, and it's always so practical. And right here he has a helpful word concerning the way the sword of the Spirit works in our lives. And listen carefully and see if you haven't experienced this somewhere along the way. He writes that sometimes when you are reading a passage of scripture, the words seem suddenly to come alive. They take on flesh and bones and they leap off the page at you. They grow eyes that follow you around everywhere you go. Or they develop a voice that echoes in your ear until you can't get away from it. Perhaps you've had that experience in some moment of temptation or doubt when you were assailed by what Paul calls the flaming darts of the evil one and immediately a passage of scripture which supplies the answer comes flashing to your mind. 
Or maybe you have been asked a question that caught you off guard for a moment and you were about to say, I don't know, and before the words could come out of your mouth, you suddenly had a moment of illumination and a word of Scripture came to mind which gave you the answer. Perhaps this experience has happened while you're sitting in a meeting where some message has come home to your heart with strange and powerful effect. You were greatly moved and in that moment you made a deep and permanent decision. All of this is the rhema of God, the sayings of God that strike home like arrows to the heart. This is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And all of us have had that experience. Why is it that we have that experience? It's the power of God's Word. So we've looked at the explanation of the sword and the emphasis of it and the example of it. Now, I want to just talk for a couple more minutes about the effect of it. What is the effect of the sword of the Spirit? three things. First of all, this explains the dynamic of preaching. The Bible says that people are saved by the foolishness of preaching. It really, when you stop and think about it, doesn't it seem kind of strange that you can come to a place or maybe go to a stadium where Billy Graham is going to speak and this man can stand up and you may not even be able to see him and he's going to speak from the Word of God and he's going to say some things in that stadium and you're going to respond to them and when you respond it changes your life. I want to tell you something. If I were a Christian out of fellowship with God or I were not a Christian and I was going to a Bible preaching church, I might sit as far back as I could. And I've often thought about putting a sign that says hazardous. Because you see, what I do when I preach is I stand up here and I fling swords. That's all I do. I throw swords out from the Bible. I preach the Word of God and the sayings of God just get thrown everywhere. And they're bound to hit you sometime. And usually when you're listening carefully, if you're taking notes and trying to ask God to help you understand it, the sword will come at a point in your life where you really need it or where you really need it and don't want it. (laughs) And the sword will do its work in your life. Number two, this truth teaches us the important discipline of reading the Bible through systematically. First of all, that explains the dynamic of preaching and that it encouraged the discipline of reading the Bible. And I can explain this to you very quickly. Jesus used three swords against Satan that day in the wilderness. Do you know where they came from? Well, you probably think, well, they probably are from the Psalms or some prominent portion of the Word of God. No, no, no. All three of his swords came from the book of Deuteronomy. You've got to be kidding me. From Deuteronomy? Jesus used all of his swords against Satan from the book of Deuteronomy. Oh, yes, there are swords in Deuteronomy. I even think there's a few in Leviticus. (laughs) But if you don't know the swords, if you don't even know what they're there, you will never. So here's the deal. When you're reading through the Word of God, he'll give you some truths as you read through the Scripture. You may not need them that day, but you'll need to know where they were so you can go back and get them. This book is the armory. This is the Logos. And in the Logos are hundreds of thousands of rhema, sayings of God. And when you find those sayings and you put them together with the temptation in your life, you can do what Jesus did. You can say, it is written, (laughs) and nail him with a sword. Thirdly, this truth teaches us the dynamic of preaching and the discipline of reading the Bible systematically. And thirdly, it teaches us the diligence of memorizing passages of the Word of God. I know that most of you don't like the word memorize. 
I think about the 10th grade or so, memorize goes out of our vocabulary. I don't know why that is. Somebody tells us it's not a good educational method. I don't necessarily agree with that. Here's what I know. When Jesus was in the wilderness and Satan came to tempt him, Jesus didn't say, can you wait just a minute while I go get my concordance? You know, you don't get to do that, do you? I found that when the temptation comes to me, it's rarely when I'm sitting in my office with my Bible open and I'm studying for a sermon. It never happens that way. Your temptations come normally in a situation where you would be ill-prepared if you didn't have some of the Word of God stored in your mind. And I'm not going to get all over you about not memorizing the Word of God because I know it's hard and it seems to get harder as you get older. But sometimes what happens is we say, well, I can't memorize any verses, so I'm not going to do it. Well, can you memorize one? (laughs) Could you memorize just one verse? Could you just say, Lord God, show me a verse that will help me with the greatest issue I have in my life right now. If you don't know where those verses are, take the issue, look it up in a concordance, and look through all the verses, and when you do, the Lord will show you one that you can use. And just say, okay, I'm going to memorize one verse, and I'm going to let that be my sword, and I promise you if you do that, God will give you an opportunity to use it, and he will show you the strength of his word in your life, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Eugene Peterson, he says, when I was 35... I bought running shoes, and I began enjoying the smooth rhythms of long-distance running. Soon, he said, I was competing in 10K races every month or so, and then I ran a marathon once a year. By then, I was subscribing to and reading three different running magazines. Then I pulled a muscle, and I couldn't run for a couple of months. And guess what? Those magazines were still all over the house, but I never opened one one time. The moment I resumed running... I started reading again. That's when I realized that my reading was an extension of something I was part of. I was reading for companionship and affirmation of the experience of running. I did learn a few things along the way, but mostly it was just to deepen my world of running. If I wasn't running, there was nothing to deepen. And he said the parallel with reading Scripture is striking. If I'm not living in active response to the living God, reading from his word won't hold my interest for very long. The most important question isn't what does this mean, but how can I obey? Simple obedience will open up our lives to a text more quickly than any number of Bible studies, dictionaries, concordances, or paraphrases. What is he saying? He's saying if you're running the race, you read the magazine. (laughs) If you're not running the race, the magazine's not real interesting to you. And the same thing is true for the Christian life. If you're running the race as a Christian, this magazine's going to be interesting to you because it's going to help you understand and it's going to affirm and explain and express what's going on in your daily walk. It's going to give you guidance and direction. If you quit running the race, you're going to put the magazine down. And that's where some of us are today. It's not that we don't like the Bible. It's not that we don't love the Word of God. We're just not running the race, and so it doesn't have a lot of interest to us. So if you want to get back interested in the Word of God, enter the race again. Start living for the Lord. Start serving the Lord. I'll tell you what. There's an old adage that says, if you want to learn the Bible, become a teacher. (laughs) Teach some kids the Bible. They'll ask you questions that will deepen your faith in one week. (laughs) But if you're not running the race, you're not going to read the magazine. H.P. Barker wrote about this experience. He said, one day I was looking out the window into the garden and I saw three things. First, he said, I saw a butterfly. 
the butterfly was beautiful and it would light on a flower and then it would flutter to another flower and then to another and only for a second or two it would sit and it would move on and it would touch as many lovely blossoms as it could but it derived absolutely no benefit from it at all. And then I watched a little longer, he said, and out my window I saw a botanist. Now a botanist is a student of flowers. The botanist had a big notebook under his arm and a great big magnifying glass. And the botanist would lean over a certain flower and he would look for a long time and then he would write notes in his notebook. And he was there for hours writing notes and then he stuck his notes under his arm and tucked his magnifying glass in his pocket and he walked away. And then I saw the third thing, he said. As I looked out my window into the garden, I looked and I noticed a bee, just a little bee. But the bee would light on a flower and it would sink down deep into the flower and it would extract all the nectar and pollen that it could carry. It went in empty every time and it came out full. And I need to tell you something, folks. We are either like a butterfly, a botanist, or a bee. And most of us have been one of those at some time in our life or another. Some Christians like the butterfly, they just flit from one Bible study to another, from one sermon to the next sermon, from one commentary to the next, gaining little more than a nice feeling and some good ideas. <laughs> Others are like the botanist. Oh, they study the scripture carefully. They take copious notes. They gain so much information, but little truth. <laughs> and then there are others like the bee who go to the Bible to be taught by God and to grow in their knowledge of him. And like the bee, they never go away empty. I've been like the butterfly some, perhaps more like the botanist than I should have been, but I know that in my heart I want to be like that bee. Go down deep into the flower and suck everything there is out of there. Go in empty but come out full. Every time you open your Bible, you should say, Lord God, help me to be like the bumblebee today. Help me to go in here and get everything there is for me today. I don't want to just read it for an assignment. Help me to hear your voice as I read it. Lord God, there's going to be some swords in this chapter that I'm going to need. Help me to see where they are. Lord, maybe even you can give me some grace. Help me to memorize one of them. <laughs> but if you're going to fight the battle, and folks, I can't imagine how what we've been talking about these last weeks could have been any more timely than it is given what's going on in our world. We are under siege as a church. We are no longer the popular Christian group that we once were. We are not even considered to be politically correct anymore. <laughs> if you're going to be a Christian, you can't be a wimp. <laughs> if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to be a soldier. And if you're going to be a soldier, you need more than just armor to keep you from getting hit. You need to learn how to use the weapon God has given you. And the only weapon there is, I mean, I wish I could tell you there's 10 others, but there's just one. It's this book. That's why we concentrate on it here. That's why it's just every week the message from this pulpit. Because if you get this book and you begin to use it in a proper way and learn how to use the sayings of God, there is no way you will be victimized. You will be victorious. And you will be able to say with the authority of the Lord Jesus, it is written. It is written. Thank you for being with us today as we have studied God's Word and learned how the Lord Jesus Christ implemented the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. During the month of June, I want to make available to you a very special book called Answers to Questions About Spiritual Warfare. This book reveals Satan's strategies against God and man, the big picture, 
It describes the Christian's path to spiritual victory, how to defeat Satan's attacks and remain faithful to God in life's most challenging moments. While Satan's been given temporary freedom to oppose God in this world, Christ came to ultimately destroy his efforts. In the interim, God gives us promises and power which make it possible for us to win every spiritual battle. In this little book, Answers to Questions About Spiritual Warfare, I will answer 86 questions that are often asked about this subject. And the answers will be understandable. They won't be long. They'll be concise, to the point, and scriptural. I want this book to be in your hands. I believe it will be one that you will use time and again to meet challenges in your life. This beautiful gift book, Answers to Questions About Spiritual Warfare, is available from Turning Point uh, for a gift of any size during the month of June. Please do your best to be as generous as you can be. We're fighting a spiritual war here at Turning Point against the enemy. We're poking holes in his darkness through the radio program called Turning Point. And because we're doing that, many are coming to Christ and Christians are being revived and renewed. And you are a part of that. Because of your support, we're able to carry this beyond anything you can imagine. So make sure you send a gift. And when you do ask for the book, do as much as you can because it's June, the last month of the fiscal year. We need your help this month more than ever. Now, be sure and join us tomorrow as we continue our discussion of spiritual warfare. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about praying always with all prayer. Some people think that's an an addendum to uh, the other instruction. I think it's very much a part of it. We'll talk about that tomorrow right here on Turning Point. Have a great day. God bless you. Today's message came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. Will you tell us one way that you're being blessed by Turning Point? Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Answers to Questions About Spiritual Warfare. It's a great way to stay on guard and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series Spiritual Warfare here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. Aristotle was a great thinker and offered this formula for becoming known as a person of character. We become just, he said, by performing just actions, temperate by performing temperate actions, and brave by performing brave actions. In other words, 
we can reform and shape our character from the outside. But the Bible's approach to character development is the opposite, starting from the inside. We become loving by allowing the Holy Spirit to manifest love through us. Peaceful, patient, kind, good, gentle, faithful, and self-controlled the same way. Instead of reforming ourselves, we allow Christ to manifest Himself through us. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's approach to character on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.